Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. I have a couple really exciting things coming up that I can't wait to share with you, but it's not quite done yet. So that um, so I'm gonna you know keep tight lipped, but hopefully that in- encourages you to keep listening to uh, subsequent ep- episodes because. I will be announcing my two surprises coming up soon. Um, usual stuff, uh, social media for Hey Human Podcast uh, is Instagram and Facebook. And I'm on Twitter under Susan Ruthism. And of course, I'm on Facebook under Susan Ruthism if you want to follow my personal stuff, um, which you may or may not want to do. But one thing I would love for you to do is to go onto iTunes and rate and review Hey Human uh, it, it really helps so much. And I know it takes time and it's kind of a pain sometimes or whatever, you're busy or you forget. But if you could just in the moment think, I'm going to go do this and go do it. I would really appreciate it. Um, thank you. I know that you've noticed by now that Hey Human is basically ad free. And because of that, uh, I had to figure out a way to help support Hey Human uh, because, you know, it costs money to run a podcast. So I joined the Amazon affiliate program, as many of you know, and the link for the Amazon affiliate is on the heyhumanpodcast.com website. If you click on that link, uh, or I'm sorry, if you click on the portal, they're called that little banner at the top of the page and shop on Amazon like you normally would. Uh, it helps a few cents come back toward Hey Human. And, it's, you know, it's a little bit, but every bit counts and every bit helps. So thank you for that. If you do your shopping on Amazon, please use the portal on heyhumanpodcast.com. Also on the Hey Human Podcast website on the links page, there are all the links from things talked about in each episode. So any book that I refer to or that my guest refers to, or whatever, if it's on the links page and it's something you can purchase, it's going to go through that Amazon portal and help Hey Human. Which means if you hear about something that you're interested in that we talk about, go get it through the portal. Go get it through the links page. And uh, yeah, that would be awesome. There's also a support button on the website that if you just are randomly feeling like donating a dollar or $20 or heck $50 or whatever, there is your opportunity. Just hit that support button and, and there it shall be. As always, you are welcome to email me anytime, Susan at HeyHumanPodcast.com. And I do respond to emails. So please do that. My 100th episode is coming soon. That's exciting. I was trying to think of something really cool to do for it. And I have, when I was back home, a few months back, I interviewed my mom and dad, and so I thought that would be a fun 100th episode. So that is the plan. I am going to splice together their two separate episodes. They were in the same household when I interviewed them each, but I made them do it separately because I thought I'd get better content that way. And so um, I will put those together into one glorious parental episode, and uh, I'm excited about that. I'm just excited that 100 episodes is only a few episodes away. So crazy and so wonderful. Um, This episode is with Drew Smith, and at the time, uh, he was in Bogota, Colombia, and we talked about guns. He is a big gun collector. He has antique guns. His brother-in-law makes guns. Um, 
he loves to shoot. Uh, he, we had, there was, this was before Parkland, by the way, that he and I had this conversation and we talked about the second amendment and what it means to be a gun owner and why he, you know, loves his guns and that kind of thing. And it was such a fascinating conversation. And then Parkland happened. And so I contacted him yesterday and I said, would you be willing to come back on the show and talk to me a little bit more in light of that school shooting? And he agreed kindly. And so, you know, somewhere in the middle of this episode, you will hear a difference in the sound quality just because, you know, there's always a difference when you come back and re-record. So just know that that is the case. We were signing off. And we did sign off, and then it'll start back up again. And he and I have our second conversation. So I appreciate that Drew took the time twice to talk to me. Um, It's very nice of him. Thank you for listening. Thank you for spreading the word about Hey Human and uh, telling your friends and family and everybody. uh, I'm delighted that you're listening and that it's growing. And again, please, if you have a moment, Go to iTunes and rate and review Hey Human. Um, It really means a lot. Okay, that's that. Let's get going. Hi, Drew Smith. Hello there. You have a good radio voice, by the way. Have you heard that before? Yeah, it comes in the family. We're all a bunch of marketers, so we all talk the same way. Ah, very nice. Very uh, soothing. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. So you are in Columbia, not Tennessee, but... This, uh, the southern part of the world-ish. No, yeah, I, I am right now. Uh, currently, I'm in Bogota, and uh, I'll be here for a few more days. And then I just spent four weeks in Medellin hanging out um, at, believe it or not, Pablo Escobar's mother's old penthouse that we rent that has its own pool, and it's kind of crazy. But Interesting. Um, what, what a connection to be... Uh, hanging out with Pablo's old place. I, I assume his mom wasn't home. <laughs> no. In fact, the, the building that uh, is where this is located was actually taken over by the CIA after Pablo was killed. And they stayed there for about seven years, tore the place all up. Uh, so the current owners came in and had to basically refurbish the whole thing. But the original chandeliers, trade ceilings, and everything are, are still there. Did you go through the house looking for little cubby holes that were hidden behind walls or floors or anything? Or did the CIA already do that? Yeah, the CIA already tore it apart, but the, the original safe is still in there, and uh, there's no escape hatch. In fact, the elevator is so slow, you could probably, um, I, I, it's just really slow. My eldest brother, back in his heyday, uh, when he lived in California, he used to run drugs to Mexico with his Nova, and he <laughs> had it tricked out so that um, there were compartments like in the seat belts and in the weird door panels, there was all the stuff, and when... He gave up that life, and he ended up giving my the middle brother, who's much older than I, his car, his Nova, and uh, Jeremy was detailing it one day and found some some remnants of what had been in one of the secret compartments popped open, and lo and behold, <laughs> was evidence of the drug running. It's interesting. <laughs> That's great, and and I've actually I've actually been stopped outside of Cali one time. Um, I was on a trip and was stopped, and uh, they pulled me over and they pulled all the different compartments on the car that these 
police officers mm -hmm. knew where to look. Mm -hmm. So they popped all the different compartments out, and thank goodness the rental car had not been used for nefarious things. It was in your butt all along. <laughs> <laughs> and they never knew. <laughs> it's still there to this day. Aye, <laughs> <laughs> aye. So um, I learned of you through our mutual friend Lang, and mm -hmm. uh, I was at a Christmas party, and Lang was there, and my podcast came up. We started talking about all sorts of things, including the Second Amendment, and uh, he said, oh, I got to shoot all sorts of fun guns a little while ago with my friend who collects all these different kinds of guns, and I said, oh, that's really interesting. Uh, why does he collect them? And Lang said, you should ask him. So now here we are. Nice. Yes. Well, I'd be more than happy to answer all the questions you can as much as I can for yeah. what I know. Okay, so firstly, uh, when did you get into guns? Well, um, I started using firearms when I was about the age that I could actually hold one. My grandfather had a very large farm in northern Minnesota, mm -hmm. and as soon as I could uh, shoot straight, he could he taught me how to shoot um, a firearm. Uh, this would be a rifle. It was a 22 rifle, single shot, and uh, in, until my teenage years, while I still worked there, I'd walk around with this firearm in my, my hand. and um, Like I, the rifleman? <laughs> Yeah, like the rifleman, <laughs> I'd have it in my sling on the horse riding around. The, the, the reason I carried it was because, yes, I did find varmints, uh, gophers, groundhogs, and everything, and I, 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 I dispatched them. Uh, the reason why I did that was because they had a tendency to dig large holes in the mm -hmm. ground, and the horses would, have a, you know, they would, they would step into it and, and break legs. So this was something we had to take care of. Now, before you shot them, did you call them varmint, like it was somebody, Sam, or...? <laughs> That darn varmint. Varmints? Gotta, gotta love Yosemite Sam. Um, <laughs> did you, at, the, at an early age then, did your grandfather teach you about, you know, protection and how to use them properly and all that kind of thing? I find that today a lot of people who have guns, of the people I know, at least here around Nashville, they have guns, they've never even gone to a range to shoot a gun. They really don't even know how a gun works, they've never taken a gun apart, they've never put one together. And all these things seem like pretty important things to know if you're going to have a weapon on you or in your home. Or, But people don't seem to have that these days. Yeah, he was, my grandfather was what you would call an ultra-paranoid um, firearm instructor. You know, if if you would imagine the the barrel the open end of a barrel on on a gun if you would consider it a giant lightsaber so anytime that giant lightsaber came across your body you were cut in half just like you know obi-wan kenobi so that was not because back then stars wars wasn't there but you could just he would taught you that to, to never doesn't matter if it's loaded or not that, that open end of the barrel was never pointed at anybody. He was He's super smart. careful about that. Smart Absolutely. man. Yeah. And, and you're right about people and, and firearms nowadays. They don't have that time on the range to actually have enough confidence that if they were in a 
dangerous situation that what, what would they do they would kind of fumble that that gun just like barney fife with his single bullet they would just kind of get all nervous and then they they turn out to being more dangerous on themselves than they are somebody that would actually be the receiver of that bullet yeah so what kind of guns yeah i don't know how comfortable you are talking about the kind of guns you currently own i know that people in my family don't like to run around announcing those kinds of things but since you are in a land far, far away, maybe you will. But <laughs> what um, what kind of guns do you enjoy shooting? What do you and why? Why do you enjoy it so much? And do you hunt? And and all the questions that go with it. Sure, my um, my favorite firearms are going to be uh, long arms or um, you know rifles. And in <laughs> and in in the the world of the military, it's it's called a weapon. So that means it's a it's meant to to harm people. And um, the, the firearms that I collect are going to be war vintage firearms mm. that are going to be more of an interesting piece of discussion. Uh, it's going to be an interesting piece of engineering. And that's what I'm more interested in. And, and yes, they are weapons that did kill people. And that's the sad part because that's not a what I'm interested in. What I'm interested in is the actual firearm and, and going out and taking it to the range and teaching people about it around me, taking friends, say, for example, Lang and some other friends that I would take out to the range. And I've done it with a lot of people that have been staunch Democrats or anti-fire, I shouldn't say Democrats, anti-firearm. Yeah, I know a lot of Democrats that like guns, so I don't know. That's yeah. true. You can... and. I'm, I'm politically fairly neutral, so I'm not going to judge one way or the other who's going to be to be carrying these or shooting these, but I, I don't think that it's probably a wise idea for most people. However, let me segue back again. Wait, I wait, really hold like on. Let me stop you. Wait, let me stop you really quick. You said you don't – what do you mean it wouldn't be wise for most people in general regard to, to have yeah. a gun? Absolutely oh. not. I, okay. I'm a, I, I, I don't have any – I have one or two loaded firearms in my house, but they would never be something that I would ever suggest somebody have in their nightstand and try to shoot people. And, and the reason why is, is because bullets go through walls, and if you have loved ones in other rooms, it, it, you know, it's, it's a problem. It can go through walls in your house and go hit neighbors even. These are powerful weapons. I never thought about that. That's a good point. Yeah, so we take people out to the range. I take people out to the range, and I take uh, various guns that start at, say, um, you know, Civil War guns all the way through modern firearms. And every time we will bring one up to the stand, we, we I talk about those firearms. What is the history of that firearm? When it was used? What it was used for? And then we'll shoot that gun, and then they get to experience the different. Power, how powerful it is, how accurate it is, and, and, and just enjoy what it feels like to shoot a gun. And they'd love it. It turn out most people, just because the education is there, they love it. Yeah, it is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to shoot at a target. I, I imagine I purchased my first gun when I was in college. It was a Glock 19. And I've talked about this on other episodes, uh, but... When I made that decision, I, I thought to myself, and it was it was a long drawn out decision. Aside from the fact that there's a waiting period of you know 72 hours or whatever it is at this point, I haven't caught up on if they've changed that. Um, 
But I had to make, you know, take a moment and think, okay, if I own this weapon that is capable of, of killing someone, then yeah. I have to be prepared to kill someone. And do I have that in me? If someone were, I mean, I know enough to know that if someone were to break, like, let's say you broke into my home, I probably wouldn't stand a chance even with a gun. You would likely get it away from me, more than likely. I mean, you know, I would imagine. I'm not, I'm, I am I'm. know how to shoot a gun, but I don't know how to necessarily overtake a grown man, you know, who's hell-bent on hurting me. Um, but that being said, I purchased the gun and I made that peace with myself that should I, the opportunity to murder come up. Yeah, it's, <laughs> so, it's I mean, self-defense. Right? Yeah, in self-defense, mostly. I mean, you know, I do have a kill list. Who doesn't? <laughs> but um, <laughs> but in all seriousness, I, I, I mean, it's an important thing to think about that when you own a gun and when you fire a gun, you have to somewhere in your brain understand that it is possible that you could use it against another human being. Yeah, other than divorce, it's probably the most serious decision you'll ever make in your entire life. <laughs> most people say other than marriage. I <laughs> think you said other than divorce. That's hilarious. I read the funniest thing the other day. It said um, all divorces should be played out like a wedding, only the difference is the bride walks backwards down the aisle and tells her father <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. Um, but anyway, that being said, um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because you being a gun lover and you take friends to go shoot and all that stuff, but you don't recommend the everyday person just willy-nilly, obviously, because they're powerful weapons. They kill people. Yeah, most people, most people have never had enough experience shooting that firearm. It, they go to the range, and they're, it's a very sterile environment. They, they don't have the opportunity to pull the weapon from a, a holster or from a concealed position or in a, in a quick action. They don't go to an active gun range where they can actually be in that situation. And... So, like I said in the, the Barney Fife example, they've never, they don't know how to, in a dangerous issue, you know, they just don't know how to, to fire it when it comes to that. And so, to me, they're more dangerous to themselves and to other people than they are to someone that is walking up within a couple of feet. Because the average encounter was within, say, 10 feet or less. So what do you do? What do you do when it's an encounter with less than 10 feet? How do you get to your weapon and get it drawn and get it out in less than 10 feet? Well, that's my example of saying if you were to break into my house, the likelihood of me being able to overpower you with the weapon is less likely than you overpowering me. Very difficult. I'm a, I'm a firm believer in a strong can of mace. Or hornet spray, wasp spray, I've heard it. Sure, bear, bear spray, hornet spray. Any of those will deter someone as as good as anything else. Uh, and again, someone could be all whacked out on drugs and they start coming at you and you can shoot them five times and they may never go down. That's a good point too. So yeah. what do you think about, and again, this is of course your personal opinion, um, but what do you think about uh, all these different uh, shootings that happen across America, like the Sandy Hook shootings or the you know, the Vegas situation or any of these. Do you think that, because immediately after things like that happen, people start 
saying, you know, we need gun control, you know, and then the other side screams about the Second Amendment, and then everyone's just screaming, and no one's really listening to each other anymore. I mean, I don't think people who have a history of mental illness should be allowed to buy a gun. That just seems like good math, really. But what, where, where do you stand on all that stuff? Well, first of all, it's very unfortunate, and it's, it's, really, it's really sad that things like that happen. Um, I feel that because the Second Amendment is still there, there's still going to be four out of 100,000 people that are going to be killed by guns. Uh, yeah, four out of 100,000 people are going to be killed by guns every year. And that's higher than basically anybody in the world except for a lot of the central and northern uh, South American countries. Colombia, for example, is 25 out of 100,000 people die or by you know, gun death. Is it and, that high there? Yeah, it's 25 out of 100. A lot of it has to do with a lot of these Central and Southern American, South American countries. It has to do with drugs. They say it has to do with drugs and gangs, etc. But you take, in, take into you know, example Germany, which is 0.14 or 3.85. So as far as what is my opinion here, ah, it's just really difficult as a Second Amendment gun carrier to uh, make an, an opinion one way or the other what's right and what's wrong. And it's so unfortunate, like you said, to have people that are mentally unstable have the ability to get these guns, but you're not going to ever be able to stop it. Unless you get rid of it, you just can't do it. And the Second Amendment, they're going to really have a difficult time prying that gun from those cold hands. It, it just doesn't happen. And, and I'm going to say one thing. A lot of people think that they're buying guns for self-defense and that if the army ever rises up against them and they have to go out and be shooters and all that kind of stuff, they're going to live for about five minutes. Okay? That's it. Unless they have fallback positions, unless they have caves and the Cave of Wonders or any of those, they're going to live for more than about five minutes. Okay. Yeah. They don't have any tactical training. So uh, my, my weapons, firearms, long guns, whatever you want to call them, are for one thing. And that's the enjoyment of my life and how I enjoy doing that. And, yeah, I have about 30 guns. And a lot of them are mostly World War II or post-World War II guns that are just really cool to shoot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a really valid point that should... <laughs> Should a well-armed militia stand up against a military power, odds are much more in the favor of the military power. Yeah. <laughs> they're, really, they're really good at what they do. And sure, you'll take some down and you'll be defending your country uh, with your firearms, but you're not going to live long, especially in a, a, if it was a big civil uprising in, in today's society. It's just very difficult. Why do you think it works in places like Australia and Japan to... to squash people's right to bear arms most countries just don't have any they don't have any um they just don't understand why people get to have arms. You talk to a German or uh, you talk to anybody over in Europe, they just don't understand it because they had to deal with the same thing with Japan. They had to deal with just massive amounts of violence during the last world war. And the last thing that they want right now is a gun in their possession. That makes they sense. Just don't, 
they just don't get it. They just think the Americans are crazy because they don't want any of that anymore. Yeah. They, they just do not care for firearms. That, again, another interesting point that, sh first of all, we're a very young country. Secondly, if we had a war fought on our soil, aside from the Civil War, obviously, which was fought on our soil, but I don't know, I think our uh, memory of that is maybe a little short-termed, perhaps. Yeah. Um, <laughs> guns do a lot of damage. Yeah, I mean, they dealt with all the wars over there, especially in Europe, for all, so many years. And then once they had the opportunity to take them out of their hands, most of them didn't care. There's still a lot of, you, know, you can still hunt over there, just like I have the opportunity to hunt here. I'm the worst hunter in the whole wide world. I never have any luck, so I, I've basically just given up. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's not as easy as people think it is. And... And a lot of our houses there still have militia guns. And say, for example, you know, Switzerland, they, every, they still have militia and everybody has a gun. In fact, one of my guns is a old uh, gun that was actually carried by some awesome Swiss guy during World War II and post-World War II that, that stayed in his house. And then when it was the time for the next person, they gave it to that next person. Oh, that's so, interesting. Yeah, they're still they're still they're still out there. Yeah. Um, but caching firearms and hiding them and burying them in your backyard and setting up a bunker and all that kind of stuff, maybe just in America. I don't think it's pretty no, popular in the South. I think. <laughs> Hell yeah! I mean, I really think so. I I have several uh, acquaintances who uh, who live and die by that policy that they should should the day come they are fully prepared. Yeah. yeah, I mean, again, you're gonna live for five minutes. Yeah, it's interesting. But if you if you have to, but if you have to sustain, that's the one good thing about it. Yeah. You just don't have a fishing hook and a line. You actually have something that can help you sustain. So if you have one, if you just have one firearm that you can carry with you, then that's great. Then then you can help sustain. Yeah, you know, a lot of people I know who do carry, uh, who have license to carry concealed, and they they certainly. I'm sure wish they were in the right place at the right time, but there never seems to be somebody in those places to protect the average bear, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, my fa uh, my brother-in-law is a pistol smith, and he is one of the best pistol smiths in the world. He doesn't make fancy guns. He makes guns that protect people from bears, just like you said. He sells them to hunters or to guides up in Alaska and Canada, and what these guns do is they protect people from bears or you know, literal like bears. Big, I meant average yeah, bears and the average yeah, person. Like, <laughs> no, like like big varmints, like the giant varmints, as I was saying earlier. You know, mm -hmm. These are these are protection. Um, but you were saying that somebody that's on a concealed carry vendetta again. This is a, a serious, serious decision. That if that gun comes out of that holster, I'm going to kill somebody. Okay, that's, that's my decision. It will never leave my holster because if it does, somebody's going to go down because that means I am, I am in fear for my life. And I, I pray to God that that never happens. Well, how do you make that decision? Let's say, I mean, have you had that experience where you've been in a situation where you thought, uh, is this about to turn into something where I do or have you not ever been put in that position? I've never been put in that decision, but does... But does Conceal carry give you more bravado mm. to make you more brave to that you may never get in that position. Does it? Does it give me bravado? 
I, I don't know. I mean, Beware of men in Hawaiian shirts. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Man, I've got like 30 Tommy Bahama shirts. You should see it. I wear a different one every day. Those are good for concealed weapons because they're so busy. That, that and they're so big. Yeah, exactly. So, and, and yes, I do carry a concealed weapon. Do I do it for any reason? No, nah, no reason. I just do. But would I ever carry it open? No way. That's just asking for trouble. So what do you think about these guys and women? I'm not going to sexist it, but the the people who, you know, are in the open carry states and are walking into the Targets and the Walmarts with their weaponry full full guard. I I think it seems insane and, and reckless for a lot of reasons. Because even if you're holstered, anything can happen. I mean, anything. And these are, there's children running around and civilians and I don't know. That stuff makes me very nervous. And I, I believe people have the right to bear arms should they want to. But I don't think people have the right to be lunatics. <laughs> no. And, and in fact, there's an example of somebody that was going to, it was a Walmart CCTV video of a guy that thought he'd be a hero, hero and go chased after a guy that had a, a firearm. And it turned out the lady walking down the aisle was his accomplice and she dropped him. So my, 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 what I would say to anybody that sees a situation like that is turn around and run as fast as you can. Yeah. And let the, the well-trained people step in. Absolutely. I'm not, I'm not a hero. I'm a chicken. What are the gun laws there in Colombia and South America? Do they kind of just look at the other way or no no they're very strict here colombia is a very modern country for the most part you think oh colombia is a third world country with a lot of drugs and stuff i'm in bogota right now it's a very modern cosmopolitan city i have a fuddruckers across the street from me right yeah now. i knew it was modern but i didn't know where they were as far as guns were concerned you you just don't get them they they are you can do a grandfather hand-me-down so you can have that the the militia having the like the the FARC organization and the army they have all that but the average person to to uh, get a firearm there's just it just doesn't happen you don't see gun shops every three feet you see drug stores so around here they're about making love not war <laughs> amen to that <laughs> what's your favorite gun to shoot you know, I, I, probably my favorite is going to be a Swiss K31. It's a World War World War Two firearm that is so accurate; it's 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 unbelievable. And it's it's just a you know it has five five shots or six shots in it, and it shoots a really big cartridge with a big bullet in it, and it's just really fun to shoot. And it's a really nice piece of nostalgic. Um, you know, gun. That just is that a long gun happy. or a handgun? It's a long gun. Yeah. It's a long gun, right? And I, I, I don't have a whole lot of handguns. Most of my weapons are are long guns, and they're mostly World War II. I would have to say my other one that I really like to shoot is the M1 Garand, which was a semi-automatic rifle that was carried by most troops during World War II. And General Patton said it was the gun that won the war because the Germans only had action rifles and the, the American GIs could shoot massive walls of lead because they had a semi-automatic rifle and it's a really again a really neat piece of nostalgia did it kill a lot of people yeah do I like that no but wow it sure is nice to shoot well that must be strange too when you hold these vintage weapons to think 
where they've been. I, I uh, interviewed a neuroscientist and I got to go and I held a human brain in my hand and that was so surreal to think, where has this brain been? What did it think? Yeah. What did it do? What, you know, was it a good person, a bad person, you know, what? And it, I imagine that when you have that kind of a collection that every time you choose a new one out of an old collection, those things go through, the ghosts of what have been must pop up. All, all the time, especially I have several Russian vintage rifles that mm. were definitely, I mean, they, they killed fascists. There's no doubt about it. These were guns that were in the people's hands and that that gun had a person that died in it or had multiple people die in it. And I do think a lot about the Russian rifles because they're, they're that vintage mm-hmm. and they were made in the millions, but you can just see the markings on on the stocks, and you can see the pitting on the barrels, and you can just see how these things survive. These weapons survive cold, cold wet, uh, winters and hot summers, and they they were pried from people's hands and used again. And that's that's a that's a serious thing. You just it, I do think about that a lot. It's very sombering, but it's also I imagine invigorating and thrilling at the same time because it it probably pulls up that man's basic instincts too and it sounds silly i guess it's something to giggle at but it's also very real i mean we are survivors yeah i mean that's one of the main things the one of the main things like eight there's like eight things in our life that we have to have and one of them is a survival instinct we have to survive and if we don't have that, we're not human beings. So we are, like you said, we're just innately carnal survivalists. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's probably in its own way, the biological urge that we have to just overcome and keep going at all costs, drive us toward, you know, having the largest gun sales anywhere in the world, you know, that kind of thing. The it's, NRA it's counts on that, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's fascinating. When you come back to the States, I want to go shooting with you. Well, okay. That'll be fun. I'll be up in Nashville eventually. I come home on Sunday the 17th, so I've been here about a month and two weeks. And what do you do there in Columbia, may I ask? Sure, no problem. I sell drugs. Oh, okay. Sweet. Which ones? I don't don't, (laughs) know. Tylenol? Whatever you want. What, yeah, all of that good stuff. No, I, 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 I sell software. I sell security software to consumers in France and Spain. So I have a sales team here in Bogota and a support team here. And then I also have a sales team and support team over on the island of Mauritius out in the middle of the Indian Ocean. Mauritius? That sounds like an evil character in a movie. <laughs> Mauritius. <laughs> Mauritius is delicious. Mauritius is delicious. It's about a thousand miles east of Madagascar in the middle of the Indian Ocean. It's beautiful. I bet. Do you get to travel all over the world for your work? Um, sometimes. Uh, I, my, I, it takes 24 hours to get to Mauritius by air, so that's one place I've only been to a couple of times. For the most time, most part, I, I just uh, spend my time in, in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, where I live, and get up and travel around the states when I can, but right now I'm pretty much a homebody. Yeah. So I'm curious, why, what is, are you allowed to say what it is that you create? What is the software? Or, cause, I mean, it's, it is. 
Yeah, we, we when we help people keep from getting viruses on their computer. So we you're a white hatter, basically, or are you you are? I sell antivirus like Kaspersky okay. or Norton. Uh, then we also help people with their routers and their com- uh, their computers, and we help them fix their computers all- remotely. Okay. We do that kind of stuff. So you're not hacking in to show them where they're vulnerable. You're actually selling them the service. Well, I interviewed a, a white hat hacker, and it was super right. fascinating. And that's how I know of. You know, I mean, I've always known about hackers, but to know the delineation of the two and. You know, he gets paid to hack into big, huge companies to find well, their weaknesses. Yeah, we make sure that people stay safe. Yeah. That's my job. And it's, we're, um, you know, we're, we're a good size organization and we have, you know, we have values and we want to make sure that people don't get into situations where their money and their lives and their pictures and their wives are not compromised. Sure, that makes sense. When do you get back in a few days? You go back to Atlanta or Nashville? I didn't go to Atlanta, and then I'll probably swing up to Nashville to see my crypto friends yeah. and hang, hang out with my friend Lang for a little bit, maybe go shooting. Drew, thank you. This has been really interesting. Well, thank you. It's been it's been really fun to be on here. I've smiled a lot today. <laughs> Good. All right. We're back. We're back on, and I really appreciate it that you were willing to talk to me again about, uh, well, because Parkland, the Parkland shooting happened, and uh, it seemed important to have an addendum to what we'd already spoken about um, because we talked a couple months ago. So what are your thoughts about all of that? One of the biggest things that brought Parkland to the forefront of this whole media is that it happened in real time. Things, the, the, there was live actions and, and live posts as this was going on. And that this was a really small community that even after all of the other shootings that had happened through the years, even the Vegas shooting that had 57 people killed, those were people that were spread from all over the country and not one small community. So now you have all of this social media uh, that wasn't there from like the Colorado shooting, some of these other shootings. You have this small community and you have all of these people with cell phones in their hands now. And so they're able to mobilize a lot faster than they used to be. So that being said, now there's talk about different legislations. And we're talking about one of them being eliminating what they call the bump stock. The bump stock is something that enables you to shoot an AR-15 faster. How much faster? Well, probably not a whole lot faster than pulling your triggers, your finger as fast as you can. Um, they're talking about stricter um, sign up, you know, how to, how to sign up, how to get background checks, stricter uh, stopping someone from getting a, an assault rifle before they're 21. So th- these are all great and everything, but what it doesn't do is it doesn't tell you that kids can still break into grandpa's gun locker and get the gun out of the gun locker and stick some ammo in it, go to the store and buy a, a magazine for it, buy some ammo, doesn't have to be but 18, and walk in there and do it. There's more guns than cars in the United States. A shotgun with buckshot in it is just as dangerous as an AR-15. I'm going to tell you right now. Okay, You can go through just as many bodies because of a wad of buckshot out of a shotgun spreads out and can go through people. So until they socially can really, until they can 
via the social networks really try to keep an eye on these people that are giving clear signs. That's really, to me, is one of the only ways they're going to be able to stop a lot of this thing. Why do you think it is? My friend Ellen and I were talking about uh, your episode last night. Uh, she, she helps me with uh, a lot of stuff. And um, she said, you know, like when her dad was a kid or my dad was a kid. And again, both of our parents, her or my parents, gun users, gun people, you know, both. I, I'm assuming her father's a member of the NRA, as is my father. Um and uh, back in the day, you know, people drove to school, they had their shotguns mounted on their trucks and such. Yeah. What is the difference, yeah. in your opinion, I mean, this is all conjecture and, you know, you can only put in your opinion, but of why it is that now this is such an insane problem, so rampant. Is it just the, the concept of more people equals more likelihood of something uh, happening or is there a deeper thing going on? Well, there's 350 or 370 million people in the United States now. Yes. What percentage What percentage of violence happened when the United States had, you know, 20 million people in it or back in the 1700s, 1800s? What's the, what's, you know, what's the proportion of violence compared to then, compared to now, with media bringing a lot of this to the forefront? I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, Johnny had the shotgun in the back of his truck. Is nowadays with social media, is there is recog- these people are they're wanting recognition, and now they're getting recognition mm. through social media channels of saying, "Here, look at me, I'm weird," or "Hey, look at me, I'm being, you know, looked down upon or being censored." But now I'm going to come out with my gun and do damage. Mm-hmm. I'll show you. So yeah. to me, a lot of it has to do with freedom of the media. It's all of a sudden we have free media. It's this weird double-edged sword in that you're able to respond quicker if something happens or you can see if somebody is deteriorating mentally, if they're posting online. But at the same time, it does allow for an avenue where people who are seeking that validation and that grandiose narcissism that, that it sure. gets fed. Right. Yeah, back back before you had, you know, the the mass media and your television markets were small and and you had to use a UHF antenna, there was just no way of being able to broadcast yourself, "Hey world, here I am. I'm I'm been persecuted now I'm going to shoot you." Yeah. Yeah. So what do you do? What do you do? I mean, how, how do we fix this? I don't know is tight gun control laws going to help? Yeah, maybe a little bit. Um I, how does it you know, feel like for you? Like I asked my dad, we were on the phone and he and I are not in the same place conversationally about it, which is why I like talking to him about it because we do have such differing opinions and it's fascinating for me to hear why he thinks the way he thinks. You know, he's surprised, surprising to me because I always consider my father kind of a pacifist and uh, he's like, well, I don't see anything wrong with, you know, teaching having people who know how to shoot in schools and all that and I said that's madness to me that's madness but to him it's logical because it's an answer to a problem you know for him that's the logic and so we differ completely and my question is for people who are really passionate about guns and again I like shooting guns I've had a great time doing it with my father you know it's really fun and it's uh, a bonding thing Uh, I'm not planning on you know, storming a school anytime soon, nor am I planning on doing it ever. So for somebody that is like a gun person, when you read about these things in the news, 
because you're you love guns you're a collector you love old guns you know it's something you're passionate about when you read this stuff happening does it at all alter how you feel about it or or is it just you just go oh that's just a crazy person and there are crazy people you know it's kind of uh, calloused but i really i can't really change my mind right now because I blame, I shouldn't blame, but I do, I blame the freedom of media in the social realm as much to blame as anything else right now. I don't blame video games. I don't blame anything like that. I believe that these disturbed individuals were either young or old are just, they're dying to be seen and the social media outlets are allowing them to do that before they make their actions. It's an interesting commentary because I, I do think, too, that our minds are being shaped, especially our young minds are being shaped to need that attention. And if oh. they can't get it in a positive, they're going to seek it in a negative, whatever that is. That's why there's a rise of these crazy videos where people are doing harmful things to themselves for laughs or to get likes or to get views. It's very bizarro. I just don't see how super tight gun control of eliminating a bump stock or putting a 10 round magazine in place or any of these or making someone wait till they're 21 to get an assault rifle when you can get a shotgun. Like I said, that's a pump shotgun that can do just as much damage. Do you as a I mean, what is the necessity of having a bump stock then? If, if it, all it does is make your gun shoot faster, what's the point of that unless you are in the military? There's, there's really not. You still have to aim the darn thing. You know, you're in a tight, you're in tight quarters in a school and stuff like that. What, what good is a bump stock? You're still going to have to, you know, you're still going to have to move your gun around and you're still pulling the triggers. It's still going to happen really fast. Yeah. It's going to happen faster. It's not, it's going to happen, you know, bump stock's going to maybe happen a couple of seconds faster. Okay. Overall. So things happen really quick and a bump stock is not going to make things that much more catastrophic. I'm telling you right now. What did you think about um, the officer who didn't go in during this situation? I've, I've been thinking a lot about that um, and how, you know, everyone's like, oh, he's a coward, he's a coward. And I'm thinking, gosh, when faced in that moment, I might have trained my whole life and think that I can run into a situation. And then when I'm actually faced with it, I might completely, completely lose my shit and not be able to do it. And it's to me, that's a really interesting commentary on just being a human being yeah it's hard to be a hero yeah it is and and yeah you're you're trained and you say say i'm gonna give my life and all that but at the moment i'm not gonna say the man was a coward because i just wasn't there how, how can i make that decision or think for him that's how i feel about it too I'm, I'm sorry, but I, I just can't make, I can't, I can't judge him based on, on what happened. Yeah, that's how I feel about it, too. What do you think about the people that talk about these kids being crisis actors? I don't think they're crisis actors. I think they're scared. Yeah, I, I agree with you, but do you, I'm just, I don't know. That whole thing is so bizarre to me. I One of my friends is completely convinced that the David Hogg is a 20-year-old, you know, kid that's being fed lines by... CNN, and I mean, he's entitled to his opinion, but I... 
it's 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 a lot of them are scared and a lot of them and again enjoy the social spotlight well and i think too if you're if you've been raised up when when you know like when you and i were children this just didn't happen I'm, I'm not sure how old you are but when when we were kids this stuff didn't really happen and maybe it did to a small degree here and there in cities and these little one-offs or whatever or maybe we just didn't hear about it um right you know i guess at the texas university there was the guy that went up in the bell tower and shot up all those people he had a brain tumor or something and it made him crazy but um oh i lost my train where did it go uh oh so <laughs> i i I think when you're when you're a kid in today's society that's raised up and and all this violence is happening, it's just part of their norm. And so it makes sense to me that they know the statistics, that they know all the names and the facts. If I were when I was a 17 year old, if something that impassioned me, you know, that became important to me, I knew everything about it. So it doesn't surprise me that these kids are so well versed and can speak articulately in to the facts. You know, so I just wondered if you had an opinion on that because I know that some people do. So, well, up until nineteen, up until two thousand two thousand and two, you were still going to the library in a card stack to try to figure out what was you know for information. The World Wide Web didn't really come around with browsers and stuff until fifteen years ago. Yeah. So that that in that giant influx of information is really new, and I don't think we really know how to filter this yet right now. The major news outlets have really just gone, hoo-hoo, we're here now, we can really dig our claws into everybody. Before that, we had UHF antennas. Like I said, you only had small market news media that they had their 30 minutes of news, and they it was pretty rare that they got to conjecture, that the major national news outlets got to conjecture their information in the local news media so it was you know it, it, you just didn't get that much information that quickly so yeah. now it's just bombarding on you from all sides right which again a little information can be dangerous but a lot of information can be quite empowering which i think it is for these kids and for many people who are speaking out i don't think that the second amendment is going to is going to go away um, no. There may be some laws that are passed that make it harder for certain individuals to purchase. I, I agree with the idea that if you've been uh, 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 convicted of a domestic violence situation where you've hurt someone, if you have a history of mental illness, things like that, well, it makes sense. You shouldn't have access to guns. But the argument, of course, on the other side is that, well, anyone can get a gun if they want to. I don't know if it's as easy. I suppose if you break into a place that has a gun, maybe it is easy, but... I always say it's really a good idea to have gun safes that require things like, you know, passwords or fingerprints or whatever. Sure. Well, it's kind of funny because here I am in, or not funny, it's ironic, because here I am in Colombia right now, Bogota, and they just, they just think the Americans are crazy because we have all these guns. And you think about the the stigma of Colombia and the you know super hyper uh, crime ridden, and I feel as safe or safer sitting right here in downtown Bogota than I do in the United States. Yeah. And they're just because you just can't get guns. The average person can't get a gun. Don't go into the bad neighborhoods like anywhere. But nobody around here is carrying a gun. Nobody has them in their house. Even the farmers out in the country can hardly get them. Yeah. So. They, they, and the Europeans, they just all think we're crazy. They just don't 
they just don't understand how Americans just have all of these guns. Right, and <laughs> to that point, there's hardly any gun deaths in all these other countries, and we have an ast- and you know an astronomical number of gun deaths in our country. Well. I don't think there's anything we can do it because it's the you'll get my gun when you pry it from my cold dead hands. Right. So, what do we do? We are in a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Right. So you know, someone that's listening to this may think that I'm crazy and don't don't like what I say, but I just don't I just don't know what to do. Yeah. I don't. People don't like what I have to say all the time. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> just just be really scared of guns. That's my only bottom line. Just be scared of them because they will hurt you. Well, and I think that's true even for, in a weird way, what you just said, even for somebody that is proficient in guns and is proficient in shooting, be scared. You know, honor it for what it is, which is a machine that can kill someone, you know? And as soon as you take away that reverence, people get careless. And, you know, you have to revere something that has that much power. It's the same as being in a car, you know? When you're yep. texting yep. and driving at the same time and staring at your phone and looking at the road, you're not taking um, into consideration the fact that you are driving a killing machine. That you are. So. Well, yeah. mm. Drew, you're the best. Thank you so much. I've now woken you up in the middle of the night and <laughs> <laughs> and forced you to give second that. interviews. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's my pleasure. Whenever you come back uh, into the United States and uh, are within, I mean, I think Atlanta, it's what, four hours? If you if you want, I would love yes. to go to the range with you and shoot. So I'd love to see some of your antique guns and such. I'll pull them all in the back of the car and haul them up to Nashville. Sweet. All right. Take care and have a lovely day. Thanks. Talk to you later. Bye, Susan. See you later. Bye, everybody. <laughs>